to quote Michael Green again, it is the privilege of all Christians without distinction to bear witness to their Jesus. They do not need to ask permission from their ministers. You don't need to come to me and say, hey, Jonathan, is it okay if I share the gospel tomorrow? Is that all right with you? Yes. (laughs) The Lord says, yes. No need to ask, right? Go out and chatter the gospel. Well, the second thing we see is that spirit-empowered evangelism leads to conversion. You see, the purpose of evangelism, and I think you know this, but it isn't to impress people with our words and a lot of the things we've heard shared through Acts. They're just not very impressive, some of the speeches given. And it's not to build a good reputation for ourselves. It is to save souls, to save people. What the church has called conversion, leading from death to life. Jesus is very clear in his teaching that we will all, every single one of us, without fail, face his judgment. And for those who've not repented and believed in him, those who've not been added to the Lord, as Luke puts it, they will perish. And so in verse 21, we read this, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. In this particular case, the result of evangelism is this great harvest in Antioch. Remember, there are no apostles, no deacons, no priests, no ecclesiastical structure, really. Just the hand of the Lord and a tremendous number of new believers. It is God who is doing this work. So much so that the church in Jerusalem, which remember is 300 miles to the south, they catch wind of this. They hear what's happening and they want to know for themselves what's going on. And so they send one of their own, someone they can really trust. It's Barnabas. They send him to go and confirm these rumors that they're hearing. And not only that, to bless what's happening if it's of the Lord. And he really is the perfect fit for this. He's a man who was not raised in Jerusalem, but on Cyprus. And he's a Hellenistic, that's Greek-speaking Jew. So he really will fit well into this culture. And in verses 22 and 24, we read this. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is clearly the work of God, and so Barnabas doesn't hesitate to encourage it. Well, thirdly, we see that conversion leads to discipleship. You know, God's grace His love, his mercy is so much bigger than simply our conversion. He doesn't want us to say a prayer and then just sit around waiting for heaven or waiting for him to return. He longs for us to be transformed into his likeness right here, right now. And we call this process sanctification. And it takes intentional discipleship for this to happen. And so while the ministry in Antioch is going well, it's becoming too much for Barnabas. He's certainly a fine man. He's called a good man, but he knows his limitations. So you can kind of imagine that perhaps Barnabas is lying awake one night. He's burdened. He's tired. He's exploring his options. You know, in the last three days, he's led 10 Bible studies. He's perhaps baptized five people and he's shared the the gospel countless times. And he's thinking, I need some help. I can't keep this up. I need help. And then he remembers his long, uh, his long friend, uh, Paul. And he immediately begins praying for God's guidance. And then we read in verses 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. I remember Saul becomes Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians or little Christs. Well, as Al Mohler puts it in his commentary on Acts, 
Barnabas is not satisfied merely with seeing conversions. He wants to see the converted become disciples. Jesus, after all, commissioned all believers to make disciples, not merely converts, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Yes, conversion should lead to discipleship. And notice, we're not talking about a 10-week program here, perhaps, and then you're done. No, Paul and Barnabas, they're investing a whole year of their time, a significant amount of time, possibly meeting daily with the Christians in Antioch. You see, discipleship takes time and commitment. The question is, are we ready to make that commitment? Well, finally, discipleship leads to action. Verses 27 through 30, we read this. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. What we're seeing here is that discipleship and sanctification are not simply so we can acquire great head knowledge, okay, or simply so we can feel good about ourselves or even worse, feel superior towards others. No, they're so that we might help transform others and the world around us as we respond in gratitude for what God's done for us. And this response includes putting our faith into action through extreme generosity, Um, Al Mohler again, he writes this, the generosity of the church in Antioch serves as an example for us today. We are called to exercise the same generosity to uh, relieve the suffering of our brothers and sisters, even those who we have never met. You know, just this week, I've had conversations with folks working in churches in Pakistan, in Honduras, and in Cambodia, all places that can benefit from our financial generosity. You know, we have been given so much, so much, and God asks us to steward it wisely. And it's wonderful to see uh, some of you being financially generous in that way. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was so blessed by the response of some of you when I just had a sense from the Lord that someone could probably write a check for another rickshaw, just a whole rickshaw. Abe had raised the money through a fundraiser for one rickshaw. And I just had a sense someone in here could just write another check that day and we'd have a second one as well for the ministry he's supporting in Pakistan. Well, guess what? Before the day was out, we had more than enough money for another rickshaw. It was extreme generosity and I'm so grateful for that. And it was, it was your generous response to what the Lord has done for you and his love for you. What we see is that faith and work go hand in hand and receiving the gospel leads to sharing the gospel. And so the circle goes on and on. We go out, evangelism leads to conversion, conversion leads to discipleship, and it leads to going out again, which leads to evangelism, to conversion and discipleship and going out and so on and so on. Do you see how it grows? The church grows, and I'll probably say it grows like this, right? Out and out and out, and today, two billion people are believers. Well, as we come into land, I think any Christian or any local church that's built upon such a foundation as this is likely to grow and multiply. A Christian who's formed in this way will want to go out. They'll want to go out. They'll want to reach other individuals with the gospel. And a local church formed in this way will want to go out and seek to reach a whole community 
and in doing so likely plant another church, which will plant another church, and then another church, and so on. And so the kingdom grows and advances, and the world is transformed. And instead of disappearing like so many other things in this life, Christianity then continues to thrive even in the face of great adversity. You see, its message of forgiveness of sin, of freedom from guilt and shame, of hope and life is timeless. God has set eternity in the hearts of all humankind and no one, no, not one person is truly satisfied until they encounter him and enter into a relationship with him. And unlike various technologies that will come and will go and various fashions and trends and political leaders and philosophers, the gospel will forever be the most important message that anyone ever needs to hear. Jesus loves you and he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. He loves you and he wants to be in a personal relationship with you. Friends, have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you chosen to repent of your sin and enter into a personal relationship with him? And if not, then why not do it today? You could do it right now. And I'd love to know if you do that. Come tell me afterwards. And if so, who is God calling you to go out and share the gospel with? Because he tells us to go do that. It's been great. The last couple of weeks, I've been challenging guys to do that. And I've had two occasions now where people have come and told me, I shared the gospel with someone. That's really exciting. I want those kind of emails, friends, right? Send me a hundred of those. I would love to read those emails. Please, who are you sharing the gospel with? Please go out and share it. And then who's discipling you? How are you receiving intentional discipleship so you keep growing in your faith that you're being poured into, that you feel equipped to go out and to do this? And then who's God calling you to disciple? Because disciples make disciples. It's just what they do. And then how is your faith leading you to action in the world? Don't settle for anything less than this kind of faith. I have a feeling that many of us in the church do, but don't settle for anything less than an alive, a growing, a thriving, a sharing, a spirit-filled kind of faith lived out in community with others and seeking to be outward bound, outward bound. Friends, the world does not need more churchgoers. It doesn't need them. Holy Cross doesn't need them. The world doesn't need more churchgoers. It needs more little Christs, right? Little Christs who are ready to go out into the world and to be salt and light wherever they go, in their business place, in the grocery store. Remember, chattering the gospel wherever you go, taking it wherever you go. That's what the world needs. So let's pray that God will enable us to be a church body like that. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move in this place today. Lord, we long to be people who chatter the gospel wherever we go, whether it's in our schools, in our homes, whether it's uh, at the grocery store, the hairdressers, in our golf clubs, whatever it might be, Lord Jesus, that we are constantly have your name on our lips because we are so grateful for who you are and what you've done and the message of hope that you bring to a broken and hurting and lost world. Help us, Lord Jesus, help that to be who we are. Come, Holy Spirit, empower us and equip us to do this in your strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.